Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity, for these times that we have, the seasons that you give us, and we bless you again for this body of believers here at Salem, just been so kind to us, and we thank you for them and just pray your blessings continually upon them. May you continue to grow them in your grace and knowledge, you as we all grow. May you use this time even now as we grow even more as we learn more about those heavenly beings that you have created and are just amazing. And so we pray you would open up your word now and open up this time and use it to bring glory and honor to your name. And this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. And today we will be continuing our series on the truth about heaven and prayerfully this will conclude sadly this subject on heaven and today we will be looking specifically at angels and I know that most of us have seen many pictures on um have seen many pictures or seen even um, figures of angels in shops and on TV. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a TV show called Highway to Heaven. I never watched it, but evidently the show was about an angel that was sent to earth to help people. The angel comes in contact with a bitter man who was once a policeman. The angel supposedly reforms the policeman, and from then on, the, poli the policeman is supposed to be his right-hand man. Their mission is to travel the country and to deliver a message of, or messages of love, understanding, and humility to the people they come in contact with. Well, it sounds like a decent show. And I know most of you have seen the angel Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life, who comes down to rescue none other than George Bailey from killing himself and tries to, quote, earn his wings. Some people have said to have, quote, talked to angels. And much of this comes straight from the pit of hell and from the occult and sorcery and the New Age movement. The Bible clearly warns us that Satan comes as an angel of what? Of light. He comes as an angel of light. Where it says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I remember when I was on a mission trip to South Africa, and many there were involved in this dark and demonic practice and were possessed by demons. I would see them praying. Oftentimes, I would see people praying to try to pray the demons out of someone. 
So it's a very dark, real thing. And that's why you should never get involved with the occult or satanic practices in any way, form, or fashion. We know that angels do sometimes intervene and protect us, but we cannot know for sure that it was an angel. But what we do know for sure is that God providentially protects us. God may no doubt send out his angels to protect, but what we know for sure is that it was the Lord's doing. So all praise is not to go to an angel, but it is to go to whom? It is to go to God and to him alone. What we do know for sure is that the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 13, 2. And that's a good passage to turn to. Hebrews 13, 2. Here the writer of Hebrews says, not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it this is why we are to show kindness to strangers so when we think of hospitality most of the times we think of inviting our friends over someone we know. But this is talking about strangers, someone who you do not know. And I remember this very vivid when I was a child and my dad, this man came to our door and he had been shot and blood was coming all down his shirt and he came knocking on the door, wanting some help. My dad opened the door, let him in, called for some help, uh, and he, he was, uh, the ambulance came and was able to help him, but that was just something that I, I vividly remember. Just someone my dad, we didn't know, but he opened the door and brought help and aid to this man. So the key phrase here, uh, and this is not a normal occurrence, but it's something that would be very rare. The key phrase here is without knowing it. It could happen, but it would probably happen without you knowing about it. So in other words, you could you should not start uncovering everything and getting your angel meter out or angel magnifying glass out and looking under your bed to try to find an angel or trying to figure out how many angels will fit or dance on the head of a pen. That's not what we're to be doing. 
He's not talking about going to look for an angel. With all that being said, I do believe that an angel helped my dad out once. He was in a new town, and his car stopped out in the middle of nowhere. And he was sure that living in our day and time, that no one would stop and come to his rescue. But lo and behold, sure enough, someone stopped and assisted him and gave him a ride and helped him with his car. Can I be dogmatic that it was an angel? No, because we cannot verify in the scripture, but I know that it could happen, though rare. We know that there's a lot that we do not know about angels, but there's also things that we do know about angels from the Bible. So we will try to glean all that we can from the Bible pertaining to angels. And despite what you may have thought or heard, we do not turn into angels when we get to heaven. In Psalm 89.6 of the New King James Version, they are called, angels are called the sons of the mighty. In Job 1.6, Job 2.1, and Job 38.7, they are called sons of God. In Psalm 8. Five, they are called heavenly beings. And again in Job 38, 7, they are called the morning stars. In Daniel 10, 13, they are called princesses. And in Ephesians 3, 10, they are called rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So angels are no doubt in the third heaven, also in the second heaven, and serving God throughout the universe. And they're also in the first heaven where we live, making very rare appearances. So, are angels created beings? Yes. And they are in no way, form, or fashion little gods. They do not have deity. They are not all-knowing and cannot be at the same place at the same time, or all the time. They are creatures, which means they are created. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. So angels were created by God, and they are, and they, like us, were made to worship God and not to receive worship. The psalmist gives a clear picture of this in Psalm 148. That's another good passage to turn to, turn to Psalm 148, verses 2 through 5. And the psalmist says, starting in verse 2, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. 
Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heaven. And the waters that are above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. Both of these passages, the Psalm 148 and the Nehemiah passage, speak of Jehovah as the one who created the angels. One of the strongest verses that speaks to the deity of Christ in Colossians 1.16, and if you would turn there with me as well, Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created. So it says, for by him how many things were created? All. And what does all mean? It means all. All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul is refuting those who say that Jesus was a created being, and that is why those who knock on your door and come, and they're called Jehovah Witnesses, will say that Jesus is an archangel, which is to say that he is the highest of the created beings. Christ cannot be created because he is God in human flesh. The writer of Hebrews makes this point very plain. And we know he cannot be an archangel where he says in Hebrews 1.4, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In verse 6 of Hebrews 1, it says, let all God's angels worship him. And to drive the, the point home even further about angels being created beings, we can look at 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, which says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Scripture does not give many details about angels, but it does give these details. The host of angels has at least one archangel, the seraphim and the cherubim. The arch, archangel's name is, does anybody know? Michael. Michael. He is named in Daniel 10.13, Daniel 10.21, Jude 9, and Revelation 12, 7. 
Michael seems to be the highest of all the angels. The other angel that is called by name in the Bible is the angel Gabriel. He is named in Daniel 8.16, Daniel 9.21, Luke 1.19, and Luke 1.26 in the birth account. He may be similar in rank to Michael, but the Bible never specifically calls him an archangel. I know this may have been a burning question in your mind and something that has kept you up at night, and that is, what is the difference between seraphim and cherubim? We see seraphim mentioned in Isaiah 6, 2 through 6, where the prophet describes them as glorious creatures that are before the throne of God, praising him and keeping guard over the holiness of his throne. They are quite fascinating creatures and are described as having six wings, two wings to cover their faces so that they would not look at God's glory, and with two wings they covered their feet, which speak to their lowliness. They use their other two wings to serve God, who is seated on the throne. So out of the six wings, they use four to praise God, which shows how important praise is, even to the angels. Oftentimes, we, after we are done with supper, we play a game at the table called Bible Challenge, which has several Bible questions listed on a card. I would normally read the question, and one of the children would try to answer. One of the questions on one of the cards reads this way. What did God use to guard the gate at Eden? The answer on the bar, back of the card says, cherubim and a flaming sword. And they give the reference. It's found in Genesis 3.24. Now, cherubim are not like what you may see in a painting or picture as being chubby and childlike figures. They actually signify power and majesty of the angels. They are also pictured in scripture symbolically as guarding, guardians of the Ark of the Covenant. This is seen in Exodus 37.7. They are also seen as forming a living chariot of fire on which the Lord will ride. You can see this in 2 Samuel 22.11, Psalm 18.10, and Ezekiel 10.1-22. They are always described as being awesome and fearful creatures. I'm not sure if you were aware of it, but Job is actually one of the oldest books in the Bible. We don't see it chronologically listed that way in our Bibles that we hold in our hands, but it is in fact one of the oldest books in the Bible. Many of the events in Job occurred after the Tower of Babel, but before Abraham appeared on the scene. So, when were angels created? It seems that they appeared on the scene shortly after creation. In Job 38, Job speaks of them being there when God laid the foundation of the earth. In Job 38, 7, it says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The great thing is that they were here when the world was created, 
We know that they do not procreate because Jesus says in Matthew 22:30, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. They must have been created all at once. God evidently commanded them to come into existence, and they did. And they're all very unique. So they do not increase in number, neither do they decrease, because they do not die. So how many angels are there? The Bible doesn't give us exact number, but we do know that at the birth of Jesus, there was a multitude of what? The heavenly host. The heavenly host. When Jesus was arrested before his crucifixion, he said in Matthew 26, 53, or do you not, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? During Jesus' day, a Roman legion could be anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000. So if you want to be literal and calculated like one of our children likes to do, that could be up to 72,000 angels, which Jesus could have called immediately to come to his aid. In Deuteronomy 17.3, Moses speaks of the host of heaven. As the stars and as mentioned before in Job 38.7, angels are called the morning stars. Of course, we know that when we look up into the sky and see the stars, that they are how many? Can you count them? They're innumerable. Scientists believe that there are billions of stars in the universe. Listen, friends, could it be possible that there could be billions of angels? In Revelation 5.11, the Apostle John says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads. And thousands and thousands. This just lets us know that the number is too many to count. Only God knows the number. And we know that Satan and his demons are fallen angels. In Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, the message is addressed to the king of Babylon, who may himself have been possessed by Satan, but really referred to Satan and says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Notice how many times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Indicating his prideful heart. In Revelation 12, 3 to 4, we know that when Satan fell, he took how many of the angels? A third of the angels with him. And some of them are causing havoc on the earth, even today, and will continue to do so until they are finally destroyed by God's judgment in Revelation 20, 10, when he will be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night. Angels have personalities just as we do and, and can think and feel and have a will. They are very intelligent beings. 
Satan was once the highest of all angels before he fell. In Ezekiel 28, 11, it says, speaking of Satan, thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He evidently was the most intelligent of all the angels. Angels are always seen in the Bible as very intelligent beings. In the early morning when Jesus had risen from the dead, the angel who was guarding the tomb said to them, speaking of the two Marys who were there, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. By this we know that they can talk, and we know that they are smart. However, they are not all-knowing or omniscient. 1 Peter 1.12 says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. By this we know that there are some things that they do not know because they want to know more. Let us know that they are quite intelligent beings. They are also emotional beings, because Job 38, 7 tells us that they sang together. Luke 15, 10 is a passage I'm sure we are all very familiar with, which says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This, no doubt, is speaking of God's salvation over his elect. Nevertheless, the angels get in on this joy. The context of the parable is about a woman who has lost a coin and she sweeps her house, takes the lamps, and looks everywhere for the lost coin. Once she has found the coin, she calls all her friends and neighbors to come over and says, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. Then it goes from this verse to verse 10 and starts verse 10 in this same way. I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is how we know that they are emotional beings. Spurgeon makes this, these comments about this passage in Luke 15.10. He says, our text tells us that the angels of God rejoice over repenting sin sinners. How is that? They're always as happy as they can be. How can they be any happier? The text does not say that they are any happier, but perhaps that they show their happiness more. He goes on to say, a merry heart hath a continual feast, but even the merry heart has some special days on which it feasts well. To the glorified, every day is a Sabbath, but, some, but of some it can be said the Sabbath day was a high day. There are days when the angels sing more loudly than usual, he says. They're always harping well God's praise, but sometimes the gathering hosts who have been flitting far through the universe come home to their center and around the throne of God, standing in serried ranks, marshaled not for battle, but for music. On certain set and appointed days, they chant the praise of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for us. And he says, and do you ask me when those days occur? I tell you, the birthday of every Christian is a sonnet day in heaven. There are Christmas days in paradise where Christ's high mass is kept and Christ is glorified, not because he was born in a manger, but because he is born in a broken heart. 
There are days, good days in heaven, days of sun and red letter days of overflowing adoration. And these are days when the shepherd brings home the lost sheep upon his shoulder. When the church has swept her house and found the lost piece of money. For then are these friends and neighbors called together and they rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory over one sinner that repents. And he says, why do angels rejoice over penitent sinners? In the first place, I think it is because they remember the days of creation. You know, when God made this world and fixed the beams of the heavens and sockets of light, the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy as they saw star after star flying abroad like sparks from the great anvil of omnipotence. They began to sing every time they saw a new creature made upon this little earth. They praised afresh. When first they saw light, they clapped their hands and said, Great is Jehovah, for he said, Light be and light was. And when they saw sun and moon and stars, again they clapped their hands and they said, He has made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. And over everything he made, they chanted evermore that sweet song. Creator, you are to be magnified, for your mercy endureth forever. Now, when they see a sinner returning, they see the creation over again. For repentance is a new creation. No man ever repents until God makes in him a new heart and a right spirit. I did not know that ever since the day when God made the world, with the exception of new hearts, the angels have seen God make anything else. He may, if he has so pleased, have made fresh worlds since that time. But perhaps the only instance of new creation they have ever seen since the first day is the creation of a new heart and a right spirit within the breast of a poor penitent sinner. Therefore do they rejoice because creation comes over again. I doubt not too that they celebrate because they behold God's work afresh shining in excellence. When God first made the world, he said of it, it is very good. He could not say so now. There are many of you that could not say that of. He would have to say the very reverse. He would have to say no, that it's very bad. For the trail of the serpent has swept away your beauty. That moral excellence which once dwelt in manhood has passed away. Out when the sweet influences of the spirit bring men to repentance and faith again. God looks upon man and he says, it is very good. For what his spirit makes is like himself, good and holy and precious. And God smiles again over his twice made creation and says once more, it is very good. Then the angels begin again and praise his name, whose works are always good and full of beauty. But beloved, the angels exult over sinners that repent because they know that the poor sinner has escaped. You and I can never imagine all the depths of hell shut out from us by a black veil of darkness. We cannot tell the horrors of that dismal dungeon of lost souls. Happily, the wailings of the damned have never startled us. For a thousand tempests were but a maiden's whisper compared with one well of a damned spirit. It is not possible for us to see the tortures of those souls who dwell eternally within an anguish that knows no alleviation. These eyes would become sightless balls of darkness if they were permitted for an instant to look into that 
ghastly shrine of torment. Hell is horrible, for we may say of it, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man to conceive the horrors that God has prepared for them that hate him. But the angels know better than you or I could guess. They know it not that they had felt it, but they remembered that day when Satan and his angels rebelled against God. They remember the day when the third part of the stars of heaven revolted against their liege, and they have not forgotten how the red, the red right hand of Jehovah Jesus was wrapped in thunder. They do not forget that breach in the battlements of heaven when down from the greatest heights to the lowest depths, Lucifer and his hosts were hurled. They have never forgotten how with the sound of trumpet they pursued the flying foe down to the guffs of black despair. And as they neared that place where the great serpent to be bound in chains, they remember how they saw Tophet, which was prepared of old. And they recollect how they, with winged back in flight, every tongue was silent, although they might well have shouted the praise of him who conquered Lucifer. But on them... All there did sit a solemn of one who could smite a cherub and cast him into hopeless bonds of everlasting despair. So they know the depths of heaven and they know what it means. The angels have a great delight and it. That is why they rejoice over one sinner who repents and he says there's even a better reason the angels know what the joys of heaven are and therefore they rejoice over one sinner that repents we talk about pearly gates and golden streets and white robes and hearts of gold and crowns of armament and all that but if an angel could speak to us of heaven he would smile and say all those fine things are but child's talk and you are little children and you cannot understand the greatness of eternal bliss and therefore God has given you a child's horn book book and an alphabet in which you may learn the first rough letters of what heaven is but what is it to you but what it is you do not know oh mortal your eye has never yet beheld its splendors your ear has never yet been ravished with its melodies your heart has never been transported with its peerless joys you may talk and think and guess and dream but you must never measure the infinite heaven that God has provided for his children and therefore it is when they see a soul saved and a sinner repenting that they clap their hands for they know that they have the blessedness of the mansions in all that heaven has to give what a wonderful picture that Spurgeon gives there of what the angels see so not only do angels have personalities, but they are great creatures and higher in majesty and authority than humans. Even in speaking of Christ in Hebrews 2, 7, it says, you have made him for a little while lower than what? The angels. Did you know that Christ was even lower than the angels? So for the time being, angels have a higher state than we do. But this is only for a time for there's coming a day when we will actually judge angels. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, where he says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? The judging here has to do with ruling or go governing over the angels. That is pretty amazing thought to think about. So what do angels do? 
Hebrews 1.14 speaks of them as ministering spirits. So with all that being said, do angels have material bodies such as we do? For the most part, no. They do not have material bodies, but they do appear in visible form when God's want, God wants them to. Most of the time when you see an angel in a play or a picture, what gender are they normally? What gender? A lot of times I've seen them, they're female. Most of the times I've seen them, they're female. But whenever we see an angel appear in the Bible, it's always a male. For example, when the angels came to visit Abraham in Genesis 18 and 19, they were male. Sometimes they came in an ordinary fashion, as was in the case in Genesis 18 and 19. And sometimes they came in a very extraordinary and supernatural fashion as the angel who was at Jesus' empty tomb. The Bible says his appearance was like what? Like lightning. And his clothing was as white as snow. Oftentimes their appearance would cause great fear. It says when the angels appeared to the shepherds who were at Jesus' birth, it says they were not just afraid, they were sore afraid. When the Roman soldiers who were keeping watch over Jesus' tomb saw the angel, the Bible says in Matthew 28, 4, that they trembled and became like dead men. So in almost all cases, angels come as messengers. Not only are they messengers and ministering spirits, they are no doubt involved in the affairs of men, but, are no, but we are nowhere told in Scripture to go and look for how this happens. Most of their ministering is work that is unseen. We are just told to have a Christ-like hospitality because we truly do not know when we might be entertaining an angel. Their main ministry in, is done in worship around the throne of Almighty God. In heaven, we will join in that worship with the angels. Revelation 4.4 4 and Revelation 4.8 speaks of the worships, worship we will have all around God's throne. Revelation 5.8-12 also speaks of the voices singing, Worthy is a lamb. What a day that will be. We have talked a lot about heaven the past weeks, and the question comes, will you be in heaven? J.C. Ryle makes these comments about who will not enter heaven and references Revelation 21, 27 that says, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. He mentions that nothing that defileth and talks about the defilement and sins of one's heart. He says, these may be decent persons outwardly, but they are vile and polluted within. He says they are worldly-minded. He says they are proud, self-righteous, self-honoring, and self-conceited. They love the praise of men and do not know what sorrow for sin means. He also mentions that nothing that worketh abomination will enter heaven. He describes these as the adulterers, fornicators, unclean livers, drunkards, gluttons, blasphemers, swearers, and liars. He says, nothing that maketh a lie will enter heaven. He says this touches the case of hypocrites. They are false professors, the lip servants. They say they know God, but in works they deny him. Then he talks about those who will enter heaven, and he says they are all true penitents. He says they have been convinced of their un their own unworthiness in God's sight. 
They have felt themselves to be sinners in deed and in truth. They have mourned over their sins, hated their sins, forsaken their sins. He goes on to say that those who will enter into heaven are those who are believers in Jesus Christ. He says they have found out the excellency of the work he did to save them and cast on him the burden of their souls. They have taken Christ for their all in all, their wisdom, their righteousness, their justification, their forgiveness, their redemption. And lastly, he says, they are all born of the spirit and sanctified. They have all put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is after God. They have all been renewed in the spirit of their minds. A new heart and a new nature has been given to them. Dear friend and beloved, can you say that it is you that you have come with a penitent heart, mourning over your sins, have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and repented of your sins and embraced Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and have been truly born again of the Spirit? If, if not, friend, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have talked much these weeks on heaven and on all different aspects of what heaven is like, talked about the height of it and measurements, talked about the gates and so many different physical aspects of heaven talked about our loved ones being there about you being there about there being no sorrow no pain talked about how we will eat just for mere enjoyment and yet father we know that there are still some who are hearers and have heard many things on heaven and even from your word in you speaking about heaven but have yet to truly come to the point of bankruptcy of crying out that you would beating on their breasts as it were crying out that you would have mercy upon their souls and that they would come to true repentance and faith so Lord I pray that these messages would not have fallen or will fall on deaf ears that you would awaken some or someone from their folly from their foolishness from their lethargy and even from just their deadness Lord may you even now work your Holy Spirit to work into hearts to awaken a heart and to take away a heart of stone and to make it into a heart of flesh that beats and yields and yearns and longs after you we thank you again for these times and for these days and for these seasons. And we know that 
tomorrow is not promised. So we pray that whoever it is, Lord, that they would make right with you the point of their salvation even today. We bless you, we praise you, and pray all of this in your blessed name, Lord Jesus. Amen.